Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Audiobooks are my kryptonite, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, the Rolls Royce of audiobooks. Get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash why it works. Here with us today is Sarah Elkins. Sarah is a speaker, coach, musician, and storyteller. She works with leadership and sales teams to improve communication by creating environments that encourage authentic connection and curiosity. Sarah is also the founder of No Longer Virtual, limited participation two-day conferences with the theme of connecting beyond the keyboard. We speak to Sarah from her office in scenic Montana on a sunny afternoon. Welcome, Sarah, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm pretty excited to, to be doing this with you, Joe. Great, great. So in addition to storytelling, I know that music is a big part of your life. How do you kind of see the interaction or the intersection of, of those two passions of yours? You know, it kind of started as a little girl. Um, we had a bunch of albums at our house that were of musicals. So Kiss Me Kate was, a, was there, Camelot, um, gosh, what else, Annie. And there were, we had a, a lot of those. And so we would, my dad would put those on sometimes. And what I realized is that I really liked songs that told a story. And I still find myself more interested in songs that tell a story than anything else. So for, for example, um, I just recently discovered a song by J.J. Gray and Mofo. And what was interesting is that I learned the song and I loved the song. It was so impactful to me. The, the words, the lyrics were so insightful and appropriate for the, the emotion that I was feeling at the time when I started listening to it. Mm-hmm. And then I watched a video of him talking about where that song came from. Mm-hmm. And it was a story about when his grandfather was dying and his grandmother was driving him to the hospital. Wow. And he died in the car wow. on the way to the hospital. And hearing that story made the song even more meaningful to me, even though it wasn't related to my emotion and my story that was in my head. Right. It still was like, oh my gosh, now when I sing it, I'm thinking about additional things, not just my own trauma that I'm going through. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's so easy for me when I'm singing a song that has a story to it because I, I remember the lyrics better. Right. And because I feel like I'm telling a story. And I don't know if you ever noticed this, but a lot of vocalists, when they sing, they sing in a, in a kind of a dialogue kind of voice. Okay. Those are the ones that I really relate to. So uh, KT Tunstall is one okay. of those. Uh-huh. When she sings, it sounds like she's speaking to you, but with melody. Right, right, right. Oh, that's great. Another that's one great. that I love, Duke Robillard. He does uh-huh. a lot of blues. Most of his stuff is blues. But he recently released a swing album. Okay. And the way he sings, he's telling a story. My favorite one that he wrote and performs sometimes is 
I may be ugly, but I sure can cook. <laughs> and if that's not a story, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Wow, that's so fascinating. So um, let's get to know you a little bit better. Uh, describe for the audience what you do, but do me a favor, explain it to us as if we're five-year-olds. Hmm. I help people uncover stories in order to better connect with others. You help people uncover stories. Personal order, stories. Personal stories in order to better connect with others. And that could be in various contexts, I guess. In every different context. Um, right now, I have a contract with a healthcare company and their leadership in the sales and account management team. And I'm helping them uncover personal stories that will help them connect both internally with their, their team, but also externally with their clients. Wow, that's great. Well, I am so excited to have you here today. And let me share with you why. Um, you really inspired me when I was a guest on your podcast, uh, both uh, in terms of uh, the potential of what you could do with podcasting, because we had such a great conversation, and also just some of the confidence that, you know, you were very generous in sharing sort of how you handled the technology and sort of how you got started. I was like, yeah, you know, I can, I, I can do this too. You know, it just sort of gave me that kind of vision that it's, it's possible versus this big kind of scary, impossible thing. So I, I really uh, feel indebted to you on that. And also, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about storytelling because it, it was a podcast more on leadership. And I really wanted to spend more time with you talking on that. And now we get the opportunity to do that now. So I'm very excited to, to have that opportunity to talk to you. Excellent. Thank you. So at a, at a basic level, Sarah, how do you think about stories and their effect on us? Well, at a basic level, when we share a story that's personal to us, that's meaningful to us, mm -hmm. we demonstrate a certain level of vulnerability, no mm. matter what the story, no matter what the story. Um, and so it's, there have been lots of studies that show that demonstrating some level of vulnerability connects us to the people around us. And obviously there's a limit. You know, there are some people that are very put off by emotion, okay. by seeing somebody um, demonstrate a lot of emotion. But a story doesn't have to be particularly emotional right. in order to demonstrate vulnerability. So one of the stories that I often share with my coaching clients is okay. about um, when I was nursing our first baby. Okay. And I was living in Washington, D.C., and I was sitting on the couch. I had just gotten back from working an hour away. So I was wow. driving an hour and then coming back an hour from DC to Baltimore. And the baby was about six weeks old. And I sat down on the couch to nurse him and I called my mom. And here's this baby with these big, huge brown eyes. Hmm. When he closed his eyes, his eyelashes reached down to his cheekbones. Hmm. And, he, and he had a perfectly round head. He was just mm. beautiful. Mm. And, and not all babies are beautiful, but all parents think they're beautiful. <laughs> um, That's the truth. <laughs> so this, but he, he just had these really interesting features. And I remember looking down at him right as I called my mom to catch up with her. And I burst into tears. And mm. my mom was 
really upset because she's a nurse and mm -hmm. she just immediately assumed something was wrong. Either okay. I had some sort of postpartum depression or something oh, happened yeah. with the baby and I'm just sobbing and I can barely control myself and I'm not a crier, yeah. which alerted my mom even more. She was right, so right. upset. What's wrong? What's wrong? And, and I'm through that, you know, kind of gasping. I said, it's just that now I know how much you love me. <laughs> And the two of us are just a mess. It took uh, us forever to stop crying together. And I share that story because it demonstrates so much about me. And it's not just demonstrating that I love my child and that I have that emotional connection and understand my relationship with my parents differently now. But I share it because I'm demonstrating some level of vulnerability that everyone can relate to. It doesn't matter if you're a parent. You can relate to it because you have a parent or because you've had that sensation with a pet. Yeah. That sensation of loving it so much that it makes your heart hurt. Yeah. And it's, um, so it's, that's where I think storytelling is so important is that it connects us on such a, a personal and human level. Yes, yes. Well, that is a great segue into our first clip that we'll share together. So I feel like maybe I was a little bit too young when I saw City Slickers. I remember the comedy of it, but I don't remember that it kind of had some pretty deep moments in it, too. It so let's uh, take a look at it together. Seal was this young woman working down in the dirt. Just about then, she stood up to stretch her back. She was wearing a little cotton dress, and the setting sun was right behind her, showing the shape that God had given her. What happened? I just turned around and rode away. Why? I figured it wasn't going to get any better than that. Yeah, but you could have been, you know, with her. I've been with lots of women. Yeah, but, you know, she could have been the love of your life. She is. That's great. That's not great. No, that's wrong, Curly. You passed up something that might have been terrific. My choice. I never could have done that. That's your choice. Cowboy leads a different kind of life. When there were cowboys. Or a dying breed. Still means something to me, though. A couple of days, we'll move this herd across the river. Driving through the valley. Oh. <laughs> There's nothing like bringing in a herd. See, now that's great. Your life makes sense to you. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny? You city folk, you worry about a lot of shit, don't you? Shit? Yeah. My <laughs> wife basically told me she doesn't want me around. She read it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, how old are you? 38. 39. Yeah. You all come up here about the same age, same problems. Spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope, and then, and then you think two weeks up here will time for you. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. 
Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean shit. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you gotta figure out. Wow, Jack Palance is so cool there. <laughs> I love that. You know, and the way he tells that story of the woman, I can see her standing up, stretching her back, her hands behind her lower back on her hips, leaning back, and the sun shining from behind her and silhouetting her beautiful figure. Yeah. I can see it just yeah. from the way he described it. So um, tell us a little bit about what's going on there, how that's different than the way someone else who's not as good of a storyteller might have described a similar situation, right? Well, there, I always come back to the things that I dislike the most about certain storytellers and the things okay. that I love the most about certain storytellers. The one thing that drives me crazy is when a storyteller adds too much detail. Okay. And um, Karthik Rajan and I have talked about that a lot. It's not just too much detail. Sometimes when you add so much, it makes it so that it's not the reader or the listener and their image, it's yours. Mm. And then you're not giving them a chance to come up with their own lesson and their own message. They almost can't engage with it because it's too specific. Exactly, exactly. And um, there are some cases where it has to be, like anything by Dostoevsky. Mm -hmm. It's pages and pages just to describe what somebody looks like in their mm -hmm. apartment and how they behave. But then you have a full image in your head and you have to know those details in order to understand the, the person and the story. But in this case, the way Jack Palance tells the story, he gives you just enough detail that you can create your own image. Mm. Now, to take sort of the opposite side of the spectrum, what happens when people don't give you um, enough detail or, or enough imagery? Then they can't come along with you on the journey. Ah, uh, it's like you've left them at the dock. You've just kind of gone off on exactly. your own. Exactly. And, and plus, um, you kind of miss the character development mm -hmm. if you don't mm -hmm. give them enough. So when I describe what my baby looked like, when I look mm -hmm. down at him, Mm -hmm. I give you just enough detail that that could that image could be your own baby. Oh yeah, so you're not describing like the the specific you know centimeters or the size of his eyes or like you're right. it, but it but it's like big round brown eyes like I can I can hold on to that I, that that will trigger something in my mind. Exactly, exactly, and so I could describe him specifically. Mm -hmm. Now I could describe his facial expressions, right, right. But I didn't need to because I I want you to be able to see yourself in that position. Obviously, you're not nursing a baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you've held a baby like that, and uh -huh. or you've held a pet like that, or you remember being held and hugged by your mother, your father, or somebody who cared about you like that, right, right. And and so just enough detail. And being able to allow the, the reader or the listener, the moviegoer, to be able to put that in their head as their own image. You know, what you're, what you're saying to me really resonates with me in the sense that, you know, sometimes people think of storytelling as a skill, 
but I think there's also an art to it, right? Like just knowing what's right for that audience, for that moment, how much detail to give. It's, it's not a formula, right? You, you, you can't come up with an algorithm that delivers a perfect story in any given situation. No, especially because the audience is going to be different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And And, you might be different, right? Like at a certain point, right? I may experience it differently. And I can tell you that um, I regress into this really poor storyteller sometimes, <laughs> no. particularly when I'm with my family. I get into this this mode where I'm sharing all this detail because that's what my dad did. Uh-huh. And um, my brother is hilarious. I'll start down that road and he'll say, Sarah, land the plane. <laughs> 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 get to the point. <laughs> and so I'm saying that even if you're a great storyteller, there are times when you have to back off and recognize what your audience is, is seeing and hearing and, and be able to adjust your message for that. Yes, that's definitely important. So let's take a look at a show, Scrubs. Found him. Brace yourself, mister. You're about to get an earful, JD style. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey. Uh, g- g- give me a minute, will you? No, Kevin, I have to talk to you right now. Damn it! Later's cool, too. I'm sorry, I just... I... Look, I spent the last few days meeting new people and... trying to get used to this place, and I'm stressed and I'm fried. And I just want to go home. But here's the punchline. Even though my last surgery was two hours ago, I can't stop washing my damn hands. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, this is a weak moment. Nobody's supposed to see this. And uh, mark my words, I'll clean up the soap. Probably several thousand times. Everyone's got their own burden, Sadie. And I'm not going to be one of those people that dumps mine on somebody else. What do you need? Nothing. When I counted up my demons, saw there was one for everything. None of us needed anything. But with the good ones on my shoulder, I drove the other ones away. I think owning your burdens is half the battle. Turk knows that he'll eventually have to decide what his priorities really are. Baby, come to bed. So, Sarah, what can we learn from how this story is told? Oh, my gosh. There's something about the facial expressions. Okay. Um when I work with clients or when I'm doing a keynote, I talk a lot about facial expressions and body language Uh because they didn't have to use a lot of words for us to understand what they were doing and what the story was. Yeah. Their expressions were plenty. I mean, the music helped. Sure. But even without the music, their expressions and even the way JD walks into the room 
Mm -hmm. He pulls that door open like he is ready for a conflict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you see that without him saying, I'm ready for a conflict. He actually says it, but he doesn't need to. Right, right. And you see it in Turk's expression as he's flipping that coin that, that his, he's conflicted. He doesn't have to say anything. Yeah. It's his expression. It's the movement or not movement of his body. And there's something really beautiful about being able to tell a story without words. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting what you're saying, because I guess when people hear storytelling, they automatically default to, okay, what are the words that are being said? I guess a lot of people, myself included, wouldn't really stop to think like, what is my body telling people? What is my face telling people? Because that's the whole genesis of something like sarcasm, right? You say something, but your expression and your tone means something else. It's, it's so much more than the words. And it's so hard sometimes when you're writing mm-hmm. to get tone across exactly the way you want it to, especially mm-hmm. with sarcasm. I mean, I know so many people that have had some really major accidental miscommunications and conflict as a result of trying to write something sarcastic uh-huh. and not being successful in demonstrating sarcasm in the oh, writing. Oh, career limiting move. <laughs> seriously, seriously, the CLM for sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, tone is really important, especially when you're looking at body language. It definitely, if you are, you're telling somebody bad news, they're going to have a real conflict in their head. Hmm. And what do you think about when someone's telling you something and they're not authentic, right? Like they're, they're telling a story or trying to tell you something, but they, maybe they're not being like deceitful, but they don't really believe it, right? Does, how does that sort of manifest itself in the story? Well, um, there are a few different ways that that manifests itself. One is you hear a lot of ums. Ah, you hear a lot yum. of filler. Mm-hmm. When they're not sure of their story, mm-hmm. you hear a lot of filler. And um, you definitely see a conflicting expression from what they're saying. So uh, there are some telltale signs that I've noticed, but some people, uh, sociopaths, are really, <laughs> really good at convincing us. You know, right. if, they, if their intention is to convince somebody and they're super talented or intentional about right. it, right. Then, then they're going to convince us. And unfortunately, that's just the way it works. But I think most of the time, if we are really paying attention, if we're really present, we can tell when somebody is not being authentic or doesn't really believe in what they're talking about. Yeah, I, I believe that's so important. Sometimes the, all the signals are right there. We just have to be paying attention. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to not. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. All right, so let's take a look uh, at this next clip. This, for me, it's like one of the best books, one of the best movies you know, that I've, that I've seen throughout my childhood and adulthood. And fittingly for this conversation, it's a story about a story. The Prince's Bride by S. Morgenstern, Chapter One. Buttercup was raised on a small farm in the country of Florin. Our favorite pastimes were riding a horse and tormenting the farm boy that worked there. His name was Wesley. But she never called him that. Isn't that a wonderful beginning? Yeah, it's really good. Nothing gave Buttercup as much pleasure as ordering Wesley around. 
Come on, boy. Polish my horse the saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. As you wish. As you wish was all he ever said to me. Come on, boy. Fill these with water. Please. As you wish. That day, she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. Come boy. Fetch me that picture. see here Sarah what's what's going on <laughs> well again we're left with this idea that you don't have to have words if you have good expressions and good um, environment that, mm. that can that can describe the story without you having to use a lot of words mm -hmm. and the music definitely it fits so beautifully with it um, but her expressions in particular Mm -hmm. are, are so obvious what she's thinking, what she's feeling. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the first thing that always strikes me about that movie is that she is so expressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is it Fred Savage? Is that who that little yeah, boy is? Yeah, from Wonder Years. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that he, um, again, expressive, but his tone is so right for that story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't think they could have picked a better, more sarcastic kind of vocal for that. And like so, perfect for his age and, you know, it, context it with the grandfather. It was. And I just love the story overall um, that love conquers all. It has yeah. a message that everybody wants to think is true. Yeah. Yeah. It resonates with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I'm picking up from our conversation here that I'm, I'm, a little bit pleasantly surprised by is that um, if you stop and think about people you know who are great storytellers, and maybe you haven't examined them closely, but you know, everyone knows someone like, wow, that person's a great storyteller. I would bet, according to like what you've been, what I've been learning from you here today, if you saw them now again, like as if for the first time, you'll probably notice that they have very good facial expressions, right? That they're very expressive mm -hmm. with their face. I mean, I don't know that there are a lot of great, you know, storytellers that have a deadpan face. I don't think that works, right? A comedian could get away with it. Stephen Wright. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Wright and George Carlin. No, Stephen Wright, yes. George Carlin, no. Ah. Half, of, half of his humor was in his expressions. Yes, yes. Definitely. So um, I'm not sure why, but I really love Bollywood music and apparently Spike Lee does too. So let's take a listen uh, to a mysterious movie opening from one of his movies.
Recently, I planned and set in motion events to execute the perfect bank robbery. That's also the when. As for the why, beyond the obvious financial motivation, it's exceedingly simple. Because I can. Which leaves us only with the how. And therein, as the bard would tell us, lies the rub. So what things stand out to you here, Sarah? Oh my gosh, you just can't help but tap your foot. <laughs> when that starts at the end of his speech, when that teya teya comes on, I just can't help but kind of start moving. Um, there's a lot of movement in that, even though he's not moving. So um, I love the way that he sets up the story mm-hmm. by giving you just enough detail to draw you in and make you want to watch more. So what are some of the things that he does uh, to, to do that? Well, his expression is really serious, but yet his words contradict it a little bit. And I think that makes it more interesting. You know, sometimes if, if you're talking one-to-one, and you want to do something authentically, that's one thing. Um, but it's another if you have an artistic idea and you can create a conflict between your expression and your words, that's pretty amazing. And that's kind of what I think he does. I think that's how he sets that up. Oh, nice, nice. So I'm going to share the first music video that I've shared on my podcast. And I think it's fitting that it's uh, with you because you are a musician and, and your uh, love for music and its role in your life. So thanks for recommending this song. I think it's called The Story by Brandy mm-hmm. Carlisle. Yes. So let's have a listen.
So Sarah, what can we learn here uh, from this storytelling here? So remember when I talked about in the beginning, I love music that tells a story? Yes. This is, this is kind of the perfect example of that. And it's called the story, so that works. <laughs> but what I love about it is, first of all, when she starts singing, she's actually a little bit behind the beat. Okay. And she kind of introduces this as, you see the lines on my face? Mm-hmm. I've earned this. Oh, you know, this she's is kind of down a little bit. Yeah, but she's describing that. Her, no, I wouldn't call it down. She's no. describing that um, what she looks like is a result of the experiences that she's had. Uh, okay. So she she's done all of these incredible things, uh-huh. and she wouldn't she wouldn't take any of it back because she did it for love. Right. Which right. is kind of cheesy, but at the same time, <laughs> she's so dramatic in how she presents it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what I love about it. She starts quiet. The dynamics matter. She starts quiet and slightly behind the beat. Yeah. And then she starts getting into it. And after that first verse, she starts on the second verse and then rises up and does it the whole third verse at the next octave above. And first of all, that's hard to do. I mean, to have that kind of range and be able to belt low and high like that, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. But what I love about it is the, the dynamic behind it. Huh. And another person who's magical at this, who doesn't have a lot um, of produced videos, but he has tons of live stuff, is Jerry Joseph. Okay. And one of my favorites that he does is a song called Thistle he was driving through Utah and read about a little town called Thistle that mm-hmm. used to be um, in, U- I think it's Utah, and they broke a dam intentionally and flooded that little town. They evacuated it, then they flooded it, and I can't remember why, but this whole song is a story about pretending like there's still somebody living down there. Oh, wow. That's and great. It's the story itself is fantastic, but the way that he blends it with the melody and with the dynamics where it's quiet, then it's louder, and then it's quiet, then it's louder. Uh, David Byrne was magical at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you listen to Space Oddity mm-hmm. by David Bowie or um, Major Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, those songs, you hear the dynamic, it just gets louder and then quieter and then louder and then quieter. It just draws you right into it. And I think even just telling a story, if you can add that dynamic and, and quiet down a little bit and then get a little bit louder if you're telling that kind of story, can just draw an audience right in because you're sharing that energy. And as you said during our podcast recording a few months ago, mm-hmm. when you match an energy level, mm-hmm. it brings everyone together. It connects you. Yeah, it's yeah. So cool. <laughs> you know, what, what I love that I'm hearing from you is, um, first of all, uh, not all of us can hold a tune. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're not all singing our stories, right? You know, most right. of us are, are talking our stories. But what I'm hearing from you is that there's a certain lyrical quality that we can bring to the stories that really helps draw people in and connect them. And it's, it's like you said before, it's, it's the energy you bring to it. It's going up, it's going down, it's the volume without the singing, you know, putting the singing to the side. 
there definitely is, I think, in great storytellers, or even if you think of great speeches, right, with, with the repetition right. and the going up and down, you almost get hypnotized in a way when you're listening to a great story. Exactly. That is a perfect way of putting it, lyrical or melodic. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to hear Karthik Rajan speak because he has this beautiful melodic voice. Mm. And he doesn't sing. No. But when he tells a story, it, when you can hear him tell a story, it, it does. It draws you in. It makes you feel connected to him because he has that melodic or lyrical quality to the way he speaks. And everyone can do that. Yes. I, I so. think people who are monotone, they may not be intentional about being monotone, but mm-hmm. they can be intentional not to be monotone. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a choice. You have to know what you want and, and practice it. Yeah. And, and what I love that we're learning here today is the, the music that, that we've seen in the various clips sort of accentuates that and, and draws it out as a, as a factor, which might not, would be more difficult to show just from people talking, I think. So. Absolutely. Have you ever listened to any of those? Um, I think they're YouTube videos where they actually pull out just the vocals of one person so that you can hear the vocal without any of the rest of the background? No, it sounds familiar, but I'm not sure I remember. I'll have to find an example and send it to you because um, I think there was one of Sting okay. and that I heard that was just eye-opening, mesmerizing, but I, there was one of David Lee Roth. Okay. And that guy, holy cow, what a voice. And you hear it in rock and mm-hmm. it's great. Um, Robert Plant, same thing. You hear these voices without all the background of the amplification of the guitars and the drums. And there are some that, whoa, you don't want to hear that. It's so <laughs> obvious that they're doing rock <laughs> because they like the subterfuge of the other yes, sounds, yes, yes. Um, uh, the camouflage of their voice. But there are a few that just are outstanding. And you just sit there and you just get mesmerized by it, even though it's just a, an acapella vocal. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely send that to me. I would love to see that. So, uh, what's the German word? I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I think it's called Schadenfreude, where you yes. relish in the trouble of others. So, uh, this next clip, it's a game show. So, I don't think it makes me a bad person if I uh, enjoy that people are uh, having a difficult time here. So, let's take a look. Okay. Boy, well, when you're ready. Edgar. Fish love? <laughs> Sorry. Jenny? Wish list. Corinne. <laughs> Miners and hoes. No. <laughs> Is our category. It's worth $1,000. Greg. Uh, an ace of kidneys. <laughs> an ugly child? Now... You are a school counselor. P. There is a P. People, your time starts now. A group of pill pushers? A group of real wishes. 
a group of well-wishers. Yeah, that's it. What are you thinking, Sarah? Oh my gosh. So the reason I like that clip so much isn't, it's not just the Scheidenfeugen, whatever, however you pronounce that. Yeah. And my son loves that word, by the way. Uh-huh. He says it perfectly. But the reason I like that clip is because these people are going to walk away from this and they're going to have to tell the story somehow. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, can you imagine one of these people, they get home, they go to work, everyone watched it. Everyone saw this mm-hmm. and it could be totally humiliating. <laughs> we, we all have, they're on the spot, man. I don't know that I could do any better in that mm-hmm. situation because sure. that is, I mean, your cortisol is up, you're in fight or flight. You're just saying whatever comes to your mind, how, however horrible that might be. <laughs> but the reality is that they're going to come back and they're going to have to somehow either explain it or tell the story in a way that demonstrates who they really are. Uh So when I tell a story that's embarrassing to me, Uh I have to share it in a way that I've learned a lesson from it. Uh Or, or I simply make it humorous. Oh my gosh. About the time that I tripped on the stage when I was walking out in my go-go boots for one of our gigs. And I don't know the, the, one of the mic cords was curled up or something. And I literally, <laughs> I tripped onto the stage for the very first song of a big gig. And how embarrassing is that? But instead of just being embarrassed by it, I went up to the microphone and said, these boots are not made for walking. <laughs> and, you know, the audience cracks up. If you can find humor in it, you're going to be able to deal with it in a totally different way. And those people, they have to go home and face people who are going to be either laughing at them or judging them. Mm -hmm. And they could get defensive. Mm -hmm. They could say, well, you try it. It's really uncomfortable being up there. And, you know, it was totally stressful. And they could get defensive about it. But instead, they could say, my brain was scrambled because I was so stressed by being up on that stage. But if I had to do it all over again, I would do this. Well, what I love about what you're saying here is... You know, the stories that we tell about ourselves and how we interpret or share them with others, we have choices that we make along the way, right? Sometimes you think something happens to you and there's only one interpretation, but, you know, you made a great example with the, with the tripping on the way out to stage. And, you know, there's all these examples of, you know, actresses and actors tripping on the way to get an award. There's a choice you can make there. You can cry and run off the stage or make a big deal out of it, or you can handle it with grace or humor. That's a choice that you make. It's, it's not a given that there's one interpretation. Exactly. And then you're going to tell it again later on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the thing is you can, you can handle it with grace on the stage. But when, when you're talking to somebody, here's a great example. If I'm working with a coaching client that's having a hard time sharing personal stories with me, mm-hmm. if I share an embarrassing story like that, it helps them feel more comfortable sharing a story with me. Oh, yeah. It's like a can opener. Exactly. 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 One of my favorite experiences with this was um, one, of my, one of my dearest friends who could be my daughter. Uh-huh. Um, we moved into our house in 2000 and she mm-hmm. was, I don't know, eight years old at the time. And we became very, very close. And at one point I went to see her at a talent show in the high school. And I think she was a junior and she was singing that song. Um, I hope you dance. 
-hmm. And she had decided to dedicate it to her younger brother. It was Mm -hmm. so sweet. And I was in the audience and I brought a rose for her for after because I just love this girl. And and, um, I sat in the audience and it was a kind of a a karaoke version. So they started the music and she started singing with it. And something happened with the PA in the system and the music cut out. Oh boy. So she had no accompaniment. And you know what she did? What? She kept singing. She sang a cappella wow. for the rest of the song. And wow, I think, impressive. I think the final verse came up and she was able to finish with the music. Uh-huh. But not only was it impressive that she stood up there at 16 or 17 years old and finished the song a cappella, but mm-hmm. that she kept the beat enough that she came in right at the right spot when they finally <laughs> got the music to come back on. I mean, that was technically, that was outstanding. Yeah. But I tell that story and I tell it to her. I remind her of that when she starts to question whether she can do something. Like, are you kidding me? Most people would have walked off the stage in tears. Yeah. And you stood there in front of hundreds. I mean, literally hundreds of the auditorium was full. Wow. And she sang that song. I have never been more impressed or more proud of a human being than in that moment. And she's not even mine. (laughs) That's amazing. That's a great story, Sarah. So, oh yeah, I had a question for you. Do you ever get clients where their first volley to you is, wow, Sarah, this is all great, you know, storytelling, but I'm not a storyteller. I'm not creative. I can't do what, you know, what you're trying to teach here. And, and how do you kind of approach that? Oh, I get that a lot, especially with scientists. Um, scientists can be the hardest okay. to get them to tell a story in a way that's engaging and personal. Yeah. Um, and that what's even worse is when people say, I don't have any stories, which of course everyone has stories, but the way that I approach it, um, whether it's with corporate clients in a group or one-to-one with a leader that wants to be able to share personal stories, I always start with asking them about pivotal times in their lives. And I, I start to dig in, like for me, I start with an era, all of seventh grade was pivotal to me. It changed me from a confident girl to absolutely no confidence. I mm-hmm. sank dramatically my, my seventh grade year. So I always ask them about those times that at the time you didn't know necessarily that it was going to be pivotal, that it would change the way you see the world or yourself or your relationships. But usually I can, I call it mining for stories, especially if you're in Montana, (laughs) because it's, you know, (laughs) gold mining kind of state and copper mining and all that stuff. Um, But I, I talk it, I talk about it as mining for stories. And once we get into those pivotal times in their lives, whether it was during uh, an unemployment phase or early employment or mid-level experience when like you're learning to be a leader. Um, and then I start to dig into very specifics. Well, what was, what was that person like? Mm -hmm. Tell me about an interaction you had with them. Mm -hmm. And as long as I can keep it informal, I, I can always uncover personal stories. Wow. That's great. They just need, they need a little bit of that uncovering, right? To Exactly. It helps if they have vivid memories. Uh-huh. I know most people don't. I have really vivid memories. I have vivid dreams. So it's easy for me to, to talk about a story, to tell a story 
because I still have an image in my head of it. Um, so that can be harder, but if I can draw out images for them, mm -hmm. then it makes it easier for them to, to share a story as well. Wow, that's great. And, and I feel like in certain fields, like let's say with the scientists, it's so important that they learn how to communicate their findings in a way that's persuasive. And I think stories are an important vehicle for that. So they may think in their mind, oh, I just need to get the science right. But I think that's not the full equation, right? Absolutely, especially now, mm -hmm. especially in the current environment, if they aren't connecting with people yes. on a deeper level, then people aren't going to listen to them. They, they, they have to build trust. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's why, um, you know, when you and I have started talking together, something that resonates so strongly with me is we both have this strong sense of that connection part being so fundamental. You know, we come at it from different angles, but I think that that similarity that the connection is something that is, is fundamental. You know, you can't overlook it. It's not just the stuff around. It, it, it all boils down to, are you connecting with people? Are you helping people? Are you moving people with that connection? Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, you know, the thing is, even for people who are introverted and don't like to have a lot of connections, yeah. having the right connections, Yes. Surrounding yourself with people who believe in you, who yes. encourage you, not the ones who are telling you, no, that's too big a dream. I mean, that's when I think about connecting, that's what I think about. Who are the people that you're connecting with? It, just having a connection isn't enough. It has to be somebody who's going to support you and encourage you and tell you the truth when you're falling down the wrong direction, um, you know, being honest with you. I think that's such an amazing point, right? It's 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 the quality and the direction of the connection too, right? Are they pulling you up or are they pulling you down? Are they giving you good feedback that will help you become a better person or are they giving you false or damaging feedback that will sabotage your your ego and your confidence, right? Right? Right. I mean that that makes all the difference in the potential for your success. Yeah. Great. Well, Sarah, it's been a real treat uh, to talk to you today and learn from you so many things about storytelling. Is there, um, are there any things you're working on or information you'd like to share with our audience, how they can better connect with you? Sure, I'd love to. Well, first of all, um, I have been working on a curriculum, as I mentioned before, with the healthcare organization, and I'd love to share that with other corporate organizations that want to improve their storytelling techniques internally and externally in order to better connect and create a more comfortable culture and environment. Um, also, my, I have two no longer virtual conferences coming up, which the, the theme is connecting beyond the keyboard. So here we are back with connections. Yes. And the agenda for the one in November in London is already up. Nice. I have some phenomenal facilitators, and then I'm working on the agenda for the No Longer Virtual in Atlanta in Great. February in 2019. And, um, you know, the thing that is so important to me about those conferences is that they're limited to 50 people. Mm -hmm. So in terms of connection, you're a lot more likely to actually connect with people in I a deep that. way. Yeah. And then on top of that, we don't have any keynotes. And even though I do keynotes and I love to do them, yeah. When I go to a conference, I really prefer to be in an interactive and engaging environment. Yes. And what I found is that the people who attend No Longer Virtual 
have a ton of their own experience and yes. um, expertise to share. So when we have our sessions, they're facilitated sessions. They're not presentations. Love and it. we're leveraging all the experience in that room so people can connect and contribute, which I think really changes the dynamic in a conference. Fantastic. So no longer virtual, London and Atlanta, be there. Check it out and be there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's going to be so much fun. And you can find all of that information on elkinsconsulting.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Sarah, for sharing your insights on why it works. Thank you, Joe. Like Apple Pie and Ice Cream, a great audiobook to go with this episode is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, Diagnoses and Suggests Cures for Those Struggling with Creativity. To receive a free copy of Big Magic or another audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com slash why it works. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash why it works for your free audiobook. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment or become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash joequanjo. That's www.patreon dot com slash Joe Quanjo. Thank you. And remember, the enemy of learning is boring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joe Quanjo coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joequanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.